Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Tonight we're going to talk about in that age or stage, and, and this series over the next six or seven Wednesday nights is going to be less of a Bible study and more of a family talk, a family chat, where I'm going to share some truths from the pages of the Bible, principles from the Scripture. I'm going to share some things that others have taught me in my life and my wife, and some things that have worked well in our home. I'm going to share some things that we learned because it didn't work so well, and we wish we had some redos. We wish, looking back, we would have done some things a little bit different. We messed up in some ways. And what my plan is, is we're going to cover an age and stage, one or two each week. We're going to talk about elementary age kids, teenagers. Uh, We're in the heart of that with three teens in our family. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, single and college-age students and singles. And we're going to talk about young married and those that are are, uh, maybe have raised their children and senior citizens. And what does Scripture talk about in these ages and stages of life? What are some truths that we need to guide us for this? And I realize we don't have any infants or toddlers in here, and many of you don't have an infant or toddler in your home. And so the, the specific age or stage will not directly affect every person every week, but I believe that the wisdom that we hopefully glean will help every one of us as we then minister to others, as we have family members, it might be a grandparent that shares the truth with your children as they're raising kids, it might be an aunt or an uncle that shares something with a sibling, it might be, it might be a, a, a teacher that it, something that clicks that helps you as you teach kids in, in school or in Sunday school. It might be something at work that there's somebody struggling with their kids, and you might be able to share something with them. I have no idea how it will all apply, but I I hope it'll be it'll be very practical, and I hope it'll be a help to you. This series idea uh, was not something I had planned at the beginning of the year when I planned my pulpit uh, schedule, my my preaching schedule. And uh, this is something back in the shutdown during COVID in May or June, my wife and I, we we were doing different things on Sundays. Nobody was meeting here for about 10 weeks. It was me preaching to an empty auditorium. And uh, our church generally has three services per week. And uh, those are all three different messages and three different things that we're covering, usually three different series we're going through. And with COVID, we kind of shut all of our series down and just went week to week trying to figure out what was needed and, and what we were doing. Everything looked different. So one of the series we did was my wife and I just sitting at home for an hour, and they recorded us, and we talked about these things. And very practical. It wasn't a Bible study. It was, it was called this, Family Talk. I think you could probably still go find it on our Facebook page or, or uh, on our podcast. And it was just Tiffany and I talking at home about these different ages. And we spent about five minutes on each age or stage. And the response from many in our church, they said, Pastor, thank you for that. That really helped me in this area. And I see some of, several of you sent emails. This was a real, a real help to me. I wish I had heard that when, when I was there or whatever it might have been. And, and so I got the idea when we started gathering back together to kind of take those, those thoughts that we crammed into one hour and expand on that and expand on those thoughts 
over the course of six, seven, eight, eight Wednesday nights, six, seven, eight weeks. So that's how we, we got to this place. And so I really do appreciate you being here on a Wednesday night. I know it's been probably been a long day for everybody. We're going to jump into it, and I hope I'll give you something that'll be a help to you, maybe a reminder of something you've already known. And this evening, we're going to cover two different stages. The first one is infants. I'm going to give you a few key words for each stage, a verse or two, and then some, some practical thoughts on that. And we're going to look at infants today. And here's my key word or focus word for you, and it is the word cherish. If you want to turn with me, if you have a Bible, if not, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, we're going to go, I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have one, we're just going to look at one verse here. But 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the missionary who had started this church, Thessalonica, he's writing a letter back to the church at Thessalonica. And he's talking to them about his relationship and he's trying to describe how much they know he loves him. Uh, he loves them. And he says in, in verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, he, he says, you know how I was. You can read the whole chapter. He, but in verse 7, he talks about how he treated them. And he says in verse 7, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. So Paul preaching to this church that he had, he had brought the gospel to, that he had helped plant. Paul, I'm sorry, Paul writing back to this church. And Paul, in trying to explain how much he loved them, here's the picture he used. He said, when we were there, we were, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. The picture that Paul used to describe something that would be the most gentle, loving relationship was that of literally a nursing mother. That, 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 that closeness, that bond that probably surpasses that, that newborn baby and the mom. I see Jason and Blake back here and they just had their little baby girl that was screaming during my preaching a minute ago. And, and that closeness, and he says, that is what I was like to the church. But what is he reminding us? That's what it's supposed to be like with our children to cherish. It's supposed to be the most tender, beautiful, one of the most beautiful relationships on earth, the most tender. And in our society, we sometimes despise children. We wouldn't maybe say that, but our actions show that. We view them as an inconvenience. I can't wait to get these kids out of my hair. And by the way, having five children in our home uh, having kids for the last 18 years, there are times when you just need a break. You, you're going to go crazy. There are times you need to get out of the house. You need to hire a babysitter. I'm not saying that, but the idea of, of I, I can't stand my children. I got to find somebody else to watch them, get them involved in as many things as I can because I don't want to spend time with them. That The Bible talks about the fact in the last days that men and women will be without natural affection. The farther we get away from God, the, the more, and that manifests itself in several different ways. One of the ways that we can manifest without natural affection is when, when, when parents don't have the love for their children that they should. And, and the thing with an infant is that infants take a lot of time and energy. And, and if we're not careful, when God gives us a newborn or an infant, all it is is survival mode. And I get it. I've been there and you're frazzled and you're tired, you can always tell if you're talking to a, a parent of a newborn 
because they will talk about, hey, did you get a good night's rest last night? And for them, that means, yeah, I slept three hours without waking up. There is no other time period in your life that you would view three hours of uninterrupted sleep as a great night's rest. But when you had an infant, that's like the world. I got four hours. I, I only woke up four times last night. Any other time of your life that if you go to work and they say, how'd you sleep last night? It was the worst. I woke up three times throughout the night. It was the worst night I've slept in months. As a newborn parent, that's the greatest night of sleep ever. But because of that, sometimes it just becomes, in our, in our mentality, it's just, man, we're, we're stressed out. And, and we, sometimes we despise children. We view them as inconveniences and burdens to get rid of. How do we know this? The numbers of abortion in our country. What is that? Without natural affection. And by the way, if, 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 that's, if you've made that choice in your life, I'm not seeking to condemn you. I have somebody very, very close in my own family that has been through that, and, and I've talked with them at length about that. But that is, that, that decision, it's, it's, a, it's a view that, that, that we do not have a biblical view at that point of what that is. It's a gift from God. As a nurse cherisheth, how do we know that in our society, sometimes children are viewed as a burden or an inconvenience to get rid of? Uh, the, the, the age of the mother having their first child in our nation has continually climbed. In 1980, it was 22.7. In 2018, it's 26.4. And I'm not, I'm not against that. But the number of moms having their first baby between ages 35 and 39 from 1970 to 2006 increased by 600%. And by the way, if you had your first child between ages 35 and 39, that's between you and God. And I'm not, I'm not preaching what age you should have your children, but the mentality in our nation has changed. Children are something to do later after I've had my fun, after I've enjoyed my life, after I've, I've gotten my career off the ground, after I've made enough money. And, and maybe some of those things are not necessarily a bad mentality, but sometimes it's the idea of, I will enjoy my life and then I'll have kids. Like it's kind of that, that those things are mutually exclusive. Either I can have a good life or I can have kids. That's not a biblical mindset. That's not the spirit that God wants us to have should he choose to bless our homes with children. What does the Bible say? If you want to jot down the reference, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 127, verse number three, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And what does the Bible say? And the fruit of the womb is his reward. One time I was preaching, I told you the story before, I was preaching and I said that verse, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. They're a gift from God and the fruit of the loom is his reward. It's not the fruit of the loom. It's the fruit of the womb. The fruit of the womb is his reward. What does that mean if God, now by the way, God doesn't choose to bless every home with children. And that doesn't mean God loves you or your family any less. And sometimes that can be a painful journey for a, for a parent or for a couple to walk through those, especially if there's a desire for children. But if God should choose to bless a, a home with a child, it is not an inconvenience. It is not a burden. It's not something to just kind of do the bare minimum and get rid of so I can live the rest of my life and really enjoy my purpose for life. If God should choose to bless your home with children, the biblical mindset is children are an heritage, a gift. A, a, they're, they're a blessing from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's a delight. But that's not always the mentality, is it? 
in our society. Why? We've, we've become a selfish society, and, and families that choose to have, you know, more kids, four, five, six, seven, eight kids in our society, they're viewed as, what is wrong with you? Don't, why, why would you want to have that many kids? Don't you? And we have five kids, and that's a lot in, in this area. You get into the Midwest, and that's not all that much. A lot of people have four, five, six kids out there, but, but in, a, in a highly populated area like this, you have five kids, and you walk in somewhere, and we get, the, are all those yours? Last time I checked, I think so, yeah. Are you guys Mormon? No, not Mormon. Yeah. But the, the idea, and, and it's almost like, I mean, you guys know what causes that, right? Like, you can know how to stop, stop those from coming. And it's almost the idea of, why would you do that to yourself? Well, that's a wrong mentality. Now, I'm not here to tell you how many kids you should or shouldn't have. And my wife decided that, and she told me five was, was more than enough. And uh, she, but uh, that's between you and the Lord, and you can figure that out. But make sure whatever that mentality is, is it a fleshly, secular, worldly mentality, or is that God's leading? Do we under, do we view kids as a burden or a blessing? And that infant, if God gives it to you, not only cherish children in general, but cherish those early months and those tired, frazzled, sleep-deprived, going crazy months. Uh, Cherish those, enjoy those days. And what do people say when you have a child? What do they say? Enjoy those days. Why? They go by so fast or so quickly, right? And you know what? You figure out after they're gone, but cherish that. Let me give you another word with infants. I think is, is, again, very practical. This is more of a seminar style on these Wednesday nights. It's going to be the, in much less of my normal Bible study style. But another word tonight, not only cherish if, if God chooses to bless you and have the right perspective of that gift, but number two, another word, structure. Structure. Children need structure, a schedule, when they eat, when they sleep, where, where they eat, where they sleep. You know, the, a biblical principle regarding our God and the way that he operates? And this is re- relating to the church, but it says, let all things be done decently and in order. You know that our God is a God of structure. He treats his children with structure. The, the world is, was formed and created with structure. God is a God of order. Uh, we, can, we know they, they can schedule when the sunset is and when the sunrise is. We know when the tides come in and when the tides come out. We know the axis, as the earth rotates on its axis. We, we know the seasons. It's not like God says, oh, you know what? In December, feels good to have summer. Let's have summer in December. You can count on God's structure, his order, the way that he runs uh, the world it, it is, is a God of order day and night. He doesn't say, you know, I think I'll just make it dark at noon tomorrow. You can count on when I wake up tomorrow, This I know when the sun's coming up, I know when the sun's coming down. There's structure to God's world, and children need structure. God, when, when God is dependable, and you can count on Him. What does that do? It brings a safety and a security and an anticipation. I can't wait for, I know what's coming. I can't wait for fall, maybe. You love fall. Pull out the sweaters and get the pumpkin spice lattes and, and, and whatever it is, and, and, and wait until after Thanksgiving. You start listening to the Christmas music and decorating for Christmas, right? And all God's people said, can you join me on that? How many of you think you should start listening to that before Thanksgiving? Few of you need to get that right. But we, we know when things are coming. I, I was talking, uh, one of our couples just this week fostered, uh, brought a foster child into their home on Saturday. And I was talking this, this morning at chapel. He came into chapel and, and he said, he said, one beautiful little girl, three-year-old, I think, little girl. And he said, he said, one of the problems is she's had no structure. I think it's the word you used, Chad. She's had no structure in her life. And so the, 
these last five days have been unbelievable. Like it's just been kind of wit's end type of a thing. I think, I hope I'm okay to say this, but, but he said every 30 or 45 minutes, there's a tantrum. She doesn't know what to expect. It's, it, there, there's no structure to her life. Children, and, and I think that should start early with those kids uh, where there's a structure. And then I'm going to kind of contradict myself with my last word for infants here. Not only cherish and structure, but here's the third word, relax. Relax. Sometimes with the idea of getting structure, we get so stressed out. I've got to make sure that child has to go to bed at 7.59. If that kid doesn't go to bed, especially, I don't know about you, I'm a little OCD and a little type A with the first child. Man, it's like everything's got to be perfect. And, and you read all the blog posts, make sure that you sing Beethoven to your child for 42 minutes every night so that they'll get good grades in algebra when they're in high school and they can get accepted into Harvard. And if you don't have, if you're not, when we had little kids, it was little Einsteins. I don't know what the, what's the new educational TV show for infants and toddlers. Anybody know? What is it? Coco Melon? Coco Melon? Whatever that means. Uh, whatever. But if my, ki- my kid's got to watch Coco Melon, I've got to make sure she... I-, I saw that on Facebook, Susie, her, her daughter was, knew her shapes by three and a half months. And what's going to happen to my child? She's probably not going to get a scholarship. And I've got to... She's not rolling over. What's... Relax. Every kid's different. Every kid develops differently. God gives every kid different gifts and talents and abilities. Sometimes, especially when it's maybe a, 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 a firstborn or, and, or depending on the personality, we can have this pressure and we miss the joy of that season because we're so worried. Now, did you feed him the organic, non-GMO, banana? Did, oh, you let him have, he had a Skittle. What's going to happen? You know, like, it, it's okay. From someone that's raised five kids, just relax a little bit if that's your tendency. Now, if your tendency is it's all relaxed and the kid just does whatever he wants, get some structure. But if your tendency is to err on the side of structure, like I'm, I've got foreign languages playing um, with a speaker to my wife's womb every night so that it comes out trilingual, like relax. But I read this study, Pastor. That's fine. I, I don't care if you want, but relax. It's going to be okay. If, if God wants the kid to learn another language, he'll probably be able to learn another language. We can get so stressed out about the structure and making sure we do everything perfectly that we stress ourselves out. And by the way, whatever benefit they're getting from your stressed out structure is being completely undone by the fact that you're stressed out and the way you're going to treat them. Just that cherish, that love, that enjoy those moments. A happy home, a happy relationship with that is much more important than whatever blog post content that we may have read. And uh, if you didn't sign them up for swimming lessons by their six-month birthday, their six-month-old time, they're not going to miss out on that college uh, scholarship. Take the pressure off yourself. Love them. Pray for them. Enjoy them. That infant season doesn't last all that long. Love them pray for them, enjoy them. If you're frazzled, have somebody watch them for a few hours and go get yourself recharged and refreshed. But those are wonderful months. Enjoy them. Love them. Pray for them. Enjoy them. And uh, so those thoughts, three thoughts again, very practical. Number two, let's move on to toddlers. I'll give you a couple of couple words. If you want to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter six, if you, if you had your Bible open still there, just a few books back, Ephesians chapter number six. And with toddlers, I think probably one of the most important, if not the most important word that I could encourage you, if you have toddlers or you work with toddlers, is the word obedience. Obedience. 
my wife and I, we, we, had, we had our children pretty early. God blessed our home with children. I was 22, was I 22? 22 and 21. 22 and 21 with our first kid. I don't know how all of this, maybe because she came from, she had a good home, a good upbringing, and maybe we learned from that and some other good people in the church and teachers. I know, and this is one reason I think this is important. You say, I don't have toddlers. Like some of our parenting philosophy was formed long before we ever had children from scripture and scriptural principles. Uh, but, but somehow we, we, we came up with this before we had kids and we decided before God ever gave us kids, kind of our parenting philosophy on what we would correct for and what the priorities were with our kids. And some of you have heard me mention this before, but we, we said, what, what are the things we're shooting for? What's our goal? And if I were to redo it, I might come up with a little different mission statement. But my 22-year-old self, this is what we came up with. Our, and we, 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 we came up with, we want to raise uh, obedient, respectful, honest children. I would probably now throw something in there about like spiritual loving God or something, you know, gospel-centered children. But, uh, but, but obedient, respectful, honest children. And so what we said is, okay, if that's what we want, then in our home, we need to make it clear that they're what we call the three D's of discipline in the Thompson home. There are three things that we will discipline for. And they were in, and this, this is a little weird now that I look back at it, but we had these canvases made with their name, or their full name, their middle names on it, a Bible verse. And then it said the three D's for discipline. So we just had this constant reminder in their room, do this and you're gonna get in trouble. But, but that seems a little, little unkind now, but it's not how we meant it when we put it up. But the three D's for discipline were disobedience, disrespect, and dishonesty. That was our parenting philosophy. That's what, that was the, the metric for us. And so it was very easy. If a, if a child spilled his milk or, or, or tripped on something and where I might get mad because it inconvenienced me, then I could, and I'm not saying I was always perfect with this. I was not always consistent. But, but, but I could say, okay, was that disobedient? No. Was that disrespectful? No. Was that dishonest? No. Okay, well, I can train them to not do that again, but that doesn't need to be World War III. That doesn't need to be the end of the world. Now, that child wants to be disobedient, then we have to deal with that, whether I feel like it or not. And again, I make it sound like we did it perfectly. We didn't. But from the very earliest of ages, and it's amazing, kids know more than you think they do earlier than you think they do. They understand a whole lot more. I, I heard one, there was several years ago, there was a legislator up in Mountain View, California that wanted to, to implement uh, some, something where you could never do any kind of corporal punishment before age seven, I think, or five or seven. Way too late to begin training. Way too late to begin doing those things, to be, to be working on that stuff. But, but those three Ds, let me, let me tell you where I get that, that obedience, in my opinion, is probably vital for the young children. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, and Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he talks to different roles in life and in the family, and he gives them each kind of one-word commands. He kind of summarizes their priority and their roles in the family. Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we should all be living for each other in our family. Then he says in verse 22, Wives, what's the, what's the one word there? Wives, submit. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Skip down to verse 25. Husbands, what's the word for husbands? Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. That's a very high standard. Then he continues, you can keep reading it. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The one word command Paul gives to summarize wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands and wives submit to one another. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children, obey. 
Then notice verse number two. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That comes from Exodus. That it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth, and your fathers, now he talks to the dads, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't do things that's going to create a divide between your heart and theirs. Don't make it a divisive, um, um, uh, antagonist, antagonistic relationship. This idea, and we're going to get to this in a couple weeks, but may I just say this idea that brothers and sisters are supposed to be constantly fighting, parents and, and kids are supposed to constantly be fighting, teens are supposed to have no part with their parents, lock the door, be quiet, do whatever they want, live their lives, parents live. That, that's completely unscriptural. That, that doesn't go along with anything in Scripture. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to your masters. Then he says in verse number uh, 9, masters, do the same things to them. Bosses, treat your employees well. Employees, do what you're supposed to do at work. He gives all of these roles in life. And to the children, he says, learn to obey. Well, if that's their command, guess what? It's our job to train that. In my opinion, the most important thing a young child, this early toddler age, can do is to learn to joyfully obey and honor their God-given authorities. What's the one command in the Ten Commandments that deals with children? Honor thy father and thy mother. Obedience deals with action. In my opinion, for the most part, honor deals with attitude. It's a heart thing. So obedience is the external, honor is the internal. We don't just want our kids, here's what we do sometimes when they're little, it's all about behavior transformation. Guess what? I can transform my six-year-old's behavior very easily. Dr. Thompson, she's dressed up as a doctor, a surgeon over there right now in the kids' class. I can go over and find surgeon Dr. Thompson, and if she's doing something I don't like, I can change her behavior very quickly. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I hold all the cards, I have all the toys. It's very easy to threaten her with something and change her behavior. The goal in parenting is not behavior modification. The goal in parenting is heart transformation. Here's the problem. I can't transform a heart. Only God can transform a heart. So what has to happen? I want them to fall in love with Jesus. I want them to build a relationship with God because he transforms the heart. So how do I do that at age two? I sit them down and say, I want you to know, son, that the, the, the immutability of God, he's been the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the impeccability of Jesus Christ. And I want to go through, I don't know, son, if you're aware of the hypostatic union that Christ was 100% man and 100% God. I don't do that. You know what I do? I am God's, I am the first and most important, my wife and I, God-given authorities in their lives. I build a heart-level relationship where there's a deep love and they want to obey externally because there's a love internally. And if they have that love for their God-given authority, mom and dad, in time, Lord willing, that will transfer as they make choices to a love and respect and desire to obey and honor God the Father. But that starts early that relationship. So the goal, when I say obey, don't take that to me. I just mean snap. And by the way, I was probably too much this early on. My, my in-laws will tell you there's a specific time. Ashlyn was in a stroller, probably 18 months. We were flying back from somewhere. We were in an airport and I disciplined her like too much. Like it was like a 30 minute thing because she was not going to win the battle. 
and, and Ashlyn should have been named Rihanna. She is her dad through and through. And so we had these, these wills and, and at age 18 months, she's like, dad, you're not winning. And I was like, I brought you into this world. You can finish the statement. And uh, some of your parents said that too. I'm going to win this battle. And I was probably too focused on behavior transformation. And God gives grace when you make mistakes and we grow and we learn and, and we were doing our best. When I look back at it, I was a little too focused on the external snap into line and probably not enough on the heart level relationship. But God gave a wonderful wife that made up for my shortcomings and, and God in his grace grew me. But what we want to teach, the two verses there, obey your father and mother, obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother. Obedience, the external, the actions, honor, the, the internal, the attitude. How do we do that? We want to train that from the very beginning. And again, that starts, in my opinion, at an age-appropriate way, probably at like 9, 10, 11, 12 months. They start learning how to disobey. You don't believe me? Go When they start walking around the coffee table, tell them no. And they look at you. And they look at the thing, and you do a little, nope, don't touch that. And what do they do? They look at you, and they touch it again and throw it. They, that's, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Children have that sin nature that came from their mother. They get it there at birth, and uh, maybe it was their father. But obedience, we want to teach them to obey from a heart of love. By the way, this is true in every age. This is not just toddler. This is for elementary teenagers. This is for you as adults. God wants you to obey from a heart of love. The love of Christ constraineth us. We do not do what we do as Christians because we have to. We do what we do because we get to and we want to. He loved me. We love him because he first loved us. God, you love me so much. I want to please you. You, you, you sacrifice so much for me. I want to give my life back to you. That is the relationship here. By the way, what's the relationship in marriage? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love them as much. You give yourself for them. And guess what? In return, you're going to have a wife give herself back to you. That's the picture. God doesn't want us just to obey because we have to. And our children, it shouldn't all just be external behavior modification. But we want to teach them when we love you so much and we want them to love us so much that they don't want to hurt their earthly parents. There's a deep relationship. But at times, that's going to look like we're not letting that slide you're getting disciplined for what you just did disobedience disrespect dishonesty we're not going to let it slide we've got to deal with it we, we have to take care of that we and we would tell our kids and uh and 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 sometimes my wife and i wonder are we getting really soft or are our last two kids just way better than the older three because it seems like we never discipline hardly i mean we, we correct in things but it seems like the episodes of of just for 15 minutes, a half an hour, dealing with it in tears, and this and that, like, don't exist hardly. And I'll be honest, I think it's twofold. One, I think we're getting softer the older we get. That's true. I think number two, as you create a culture from that firstborn, that begins to pass down through your home. And the younger ones understand what is expected. They see the mistakes. Sometimes Titus will tease Ashlyn. Ashlyn, thanks for making all those mistakes. We see what got you in trouble with mom and dad, so I don't have to do the same things. And, and thanks for making a dumbest decision there. I learned from that. It's going to save me about 5,000 bucks. And, and, uh, but the, the younger ones learn from the older ones. But we would teach them when they were younger. Back when we disciplined things, we still do. We would say to the kids when they disobeyed, now, and we would always bring scripture. And we would deal with it. And, and I tried, I didn't always do this, but I learned this from my father and I tried never to discipline in anger. Now there were times I did. Now, there were times I raised my voice with my kids, but I tried not to because again, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Think about it. What am I correcting? I'm correcting their lack 
of self-discipline. I'm correcting their sinful behavior. How am I going to correct it? With my sinful lack of self-discipline. I'm so angry at you. How could you ever? I don't ever want to see you lose, lose control of yourself again. And what are they watching me do? Lose control of myself right in front of them. And again, I've done it. I'm not perfect. But we would teach the kids. Now, kids, we always bring scripture into it. What does the Bible say? Children. If you walked up to any of our kids today, probably, and said, what does the Bible say? Children. They would say, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then I would say, and I want you to remember, when we obey, it makes us, and they would say, happy. And when we disobey, it makes us sad. It makes you sad. It makes mom and dad sad. From the beginning, we're trying to show there's a relationship thing here. We want to train that obedience. Here's one key to that, the next word, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here in about five minutes, five or ten minutes here. Here's one key to that. I think probably the key to training obedience and honor, or one of the keys is consistency consistency this is a tough one any parents been there home from a long day of work kid does something he shouldn't do talks back to his mom it's kind of funny and or you're just tired and your favorite games on the TV and you just don't feel like dealing with it and you kind of look and you act like you didn't hear it and they're like did you hear what he just said to me how'd you no I didn't hear that what, what did he say and then I get sent to my room for lying dishonesty and uh, my, my wife has to come deal with me when we disobey, it makes us. But consistency, here's the thing. Honestly, a kid sitting in a high chair, when you tell them no, throwing the Cheerios, it's kind of cute sometimes. It's kind of funny. It's sometimes, not always, depending on the mood and depending on the way the kid does it, sometimes disobedience is funny at age one, 18 months, two years. It can be, sometimes when they talk back real sassy, it's kind of cute and funny. I don't, I've never seen any 18-year-old that talks back super disrespectful to their God-given authorities that's cute and funny. Them disobeying their, uh, a teacher or a police officer or whatever it might be, that's, at that age, 18 or 19 or 20, to their boss, it's not cute or funny. And so our goal is to be consistent in that. If it was wrong yesterday, what does the Bible say? Let your yay be yay, let your nay be nay. One of the worst things you can do in raising children is it was, it was okay today and it's wrong tomorrow. Or it was wrong today and it's okay tomorrow. And by the way, there are things in our home that we didn't do at one point that we now do or vice versa. We used to do that we decided we're not going to do anymore. And when that happens, when we change, we sit the kids down and explain, here's why we didn't used to do that and now we do or vice versa. Here are the biblical principles. Here's what God is teaching mom and dad. We want you to know why. Because nothing frustrates you with a God-given authority more than inconsistency, hypocrite, hypocr uh, being a hypocrite, um, being somebody that you can't count on, you never know. Is he going to get angry? Is he going to be, what, what kind of mood is he in today? What kind of mood is she in today? Now we all have moods, but that should not define and dictate our lives. In marriage, you your, your husband or wife should not walk on edge. What kind of mood is she in today? That, that That's not being instant in season, out of season without having that God-given consistency as much as lies in, in us. And we need to learn there's nothing that will frustrate you. You think about it. You were driving home today. And you were, you were driving and you were going 75 on the 405. Lights behind you, pull you over. And he says, do you know why I pulled you over? No, sir. You were going 10 miles over the speed limit. Do you know the law? Yes, sir, I do. What's the law? 65. I've got to give you a ticket. You would probably leave. That's not your best friend, but you understand I messed up. Now I got to watch how I drive. So tomorrow, because he corrected you that way, tomorrow you say, I'm not going above 65. Tomorrow I'm obeying the law of my God-given authority. 
I'm going 65 tomorrow. And you're driving on the 405 and a police officer lights behind you, pulls you over and says, you know why I pulled you over? I have no clue because your buddy pulled me over yesterday, told me I had to go 65. I'm going 65, now you pulled me over. Well, no, if you read the, the law book, you, you also have to be driving safely within the flow of traffic. Everybody around you is going 85. I can't stop everyone around you. You're the only one that's a hazard. I've got to give you a ticket. If that happened, how, how, how thankful would you be for your God-given authority at that moment? You would be frustrated. You would be angry. You would post on Facebook how unfair it was. You would show, this is so dumb, 65. You would, you would call your lawyer. You would get ready to fight it. There would be bitterness. There'd be a division between you and your God-given authority. Next time you saw a police officer, you'd be scared to death behind you because you don't know what the rule is now. If I go 75, I get a ticket. If I go 65, I get a ticket. I don't know what to do to please this guy. And that's exactly what happens in our homes. I do that, I get in trouble. I did that, I didn't get in trouble. And kids are masters. Once they find a, a loophole, they will push that. And you've got to be consistent. I've got to try to be consistent and do those things. Uh, if not, frustration, bitterness. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. One of the best ways to provoke them to wrath is to be inconsistent in, in the way that you treat them and with, with what was right or wrong the day before. Last word I'll give you, and we'll finish it up. The last word for that toddler stage is train. Train, training. These years are fertile ground for training, teaching them all kinds of things, little things, respect and honesty and obedience and scripture and Bible verses and songs, teaching them to say yes ma'am and no ma'am. By the way, this training doesn't stop at the toddler stage. I've, we've had children in our home for 18 years. This week, I yelled up the stairs, Trey or TJ or Titus. And you know what they say every time? And they've been trained this since they were two and you know, still know what they still do? What? Well, I've told him, son, that's not respectful. When, when, when someone calls you, your name, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. So I'll say, Trey, what? Trey, what? Trey, what? Trey, yes, sir. It's like it takes, again, like his mother, it takes a few times. No, it's like his father, it takes a few times. That's such an easy joke that you guys go for that every time. But, uh, but, but it's training, training respect, training how to, how to shake hands, how to look people in the eye, how to sit in church, how to sit at a meal. These things that have been lost in our society, how to sit there and interact and not be on a device the entire meal at a restaurant. Uh, daily Bible time with the kids, singing songs. My wife, for 18 years, has sung a song at the bedside of the kids every night, and uh, often hymns or children's songs. Oh, how I love Jesus. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. All of these songs and singing those and, and and, and training them in these ways. And we've had Bible time. We've not been perfect at it. We've missed many days. I can't tell you that our home has had, has had family devotions or family prayer every day. I, I think it would be fair to say we've had it more days than we haven't. We, we have every morning before we leave for school, we read uh, Proverbs together, 10 verses together in the morning and talk about it and pray. Every night my wife sings. Sometimes at night we have family prayer. Recently it's not been as consistent as it should. Uh, but, but the training time, get children's Bible books and read to them, Bible stories, kids' Bible verse CDs. Patch the Pirate has put out scores of, of children's music that teaches awesome Bible lessons and, and fun songs and values. You can order that online. Normally we would have stuff like that in our bookstore. For our kids, and again, when you're in the firstborn, you're in that structure stage. I asked my wife to bring these. But, but it reminded me, kids can learn more than you think they can. With Ashlyn, back in 2003, she was, she was in the backseat of our, our 2000 Honda Accord, 
And she said something from Sunday school, and it made me realize this girl is picking up and knows. She didn't know how to read yet. Obviously, she was one and a half. She's learning more than I realize, and, and being this type A crazy, my kid's going to, you know, know four languages, uh, all of that. Um, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to teach her the books of the Bible before her birthday, age two. And the rest of the kids didn't even know their name by age two. But, but for the firstborn, we said, and so we made, these are, these are the actual ones. We made uh, flashcards, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through. We put different stickers on each one because she didn't know how to read. So she had to just memorize. We would tell her the, the word, and, and then I guess her brain would, would aerial sticker means Amos, and, and uh, a sunflower or daisy means Matthew, and all the way through. And every, we started with just like three books at Bible time at night. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, doing that, and then five, and then 10, and then 15. She didn't make it by her second birthday, but we have it on video somewhere around two and four months or something like that. She did through the, through the flashcards all 66 books of the Bible. Now again, that's like my one parenting victory in 18 years. My other four kids, I don't know if they know them yet. So, all right, I relaxed a little too much after all that structure on, on baby number one. What am I saying? This reminded me, kids can learn and do it. Teach a small little Bible verse. Sing a song with them. Read a book. It doesn't have to be spiritual. Teach them something fun, to, sports, whatever. All, all, whatever your interests are, things that you know. Start training early. Don't wait. Well, I'm going to put them in a good school. I'm going to put them in a private school. I'm going to put them in Newport Christian. I'm going to put them in a Christian school, and they're going to train them for me. Whatever Newport Christian does should be coming alongside of what is happening in the home, and it should be a benefit to what you're already doing. Do not outsource the spiritual development or even the personal development of your children. We have traded in our trading times for those toddler years for entertainment time on devices. And it's a danger in our home as well. We have traded in those, you have them at home, or they don't have all these extracurricular activities, you're home with them every evening, and we've traded in that training time for entertainment time, either on the TV, a tablet, a leapfrog, a video, your cell phone. Again, you don't believe that a two-year-old can learn 66 books of the Bible? 18 months old know how to work, work iPhone 12s. They can figure it out. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna use that, put some apps on there that are good, but don't just, don't, don't, don't outsource that. Apple and Amazon and Netflix are training our kids. We have a TV at home and it goes to a tablet in the car and it goes to a cell phone at the restaurant and we never are building and developing that relationship. Be careful about what you're allowing with all of that in those early years. They're so formative in their mind and in their spirit and in those relationships. Use that time to teach, to train, to correct, to encourage, to enforce, to discipline, to reward. And, and, and you can come up with some other goals, but obedient, honest, respectful children. Obedience and honor. Actions and attitude, in external and internal, not just behavior modification, heart transformation. We can't transform it, God can, but we can pray for it and we can develop a strong relationship here and hopefully naturally a strong relationship with an earthly father will naturally develop as they learn the truths of scripture into a strong relationship with a heavenly father. And, 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 and it, again, our kids were not perfect. We had exasperating times, tears, get this kid out of my house, do something with him. I can't handle him anymore. We had all of that. But may I say, don't buy into the lie, the terrible twos, threes, and fours. Raising children should be wonderful. Doesn't mean there aren't some terrible days. Of course there are. Some heartbreaking days. Some, some, they're sick. They're hurt. They're, they're frustrating. They're all of those. Yes, yes, yes. 
but don't buy into the lie that my kid is supposed to be an absolute nightmare and terror for the first four years of his life. Absolutely not. Don't shirk your God-given authority and work to cherish and, and, and some structure and relax a little in those early days and then begin that training process early. Not at kindergarten. Begin investing and teaching and rewarding and bringing joy to the home and building that relationship deeply. By the way, you don't need to be your friends, your, your children's friend when they're toddlers. Be their parents. Now, that doesn't mean you're not loving, but if you'll be their parent when they're younger, they'll become your friend when they're older. And if you focus on being their friend when they're younger, giving them everything they want, when they throw a tantrum, you give into it, you buy whatever they want at whatever store. If you try to be their friend when they're younger, you're probably going to have a hard time being their friend when they're older. You're not going to want to have anything to do with them, and the, and the same is going to go the other way. Children need that scriptural structure. I heard it said before we had children, this isn't in the Bible, so this is just one man's opinion, but it did stick in my head over oh, about two decades ago. He said the battle for your child's will is won or lost by age three. Again, that's not in the Bible, so I don't know that that's true. God can get a hold of a heart at any age. But I do think there is some wisdom to understanding how important and formative those first few years are. And we've got to, we've got to establish who's parents, who's running the home, but we also have to establish who loves them more than anybody else and establish where they find out the joy that comes from being a child that brings pleasure to their parents, that brings honor to their parents. If you want to jot it down, if you're, if you're in the season of parenting, I'll give you three books tonight that have been a help to me. Probably a classic for, for many Christian parents, if you were to ask them. If you've not read it, it's a great one. Is Shepherding a Child's Heart. It talks about this idea of the internal relationship beyond just external um, heart motive, um, behavior modification. Shepherding a Child's Heart. One that I give to every family in our church that has a new baby. I gave you this one, right, Jason? I just said that and I got scared I didn't give you this book. Parenting by the book. I gave you that. Okay, got scared. If not, I have it in my office for you. But every, every parent that has a, a first baby in our home, I give them, or in our church, I give them, a, a, it's called Parenting by the Book. And I read that probably over a decade ago, and, and it really helped me. And then one that's not a Christian worldview, but it was just helpful and understand. It was called It Takes a Parent. And it was written by a psychologist, I think, or a psychiatrist. It, if you remember, years and years ago, Hillary Clinton wrote the book It Takes a Village. And this one said It Takes a Parent. She wrote that, a playoff of that. It Takes a Parent. Taking back, I think she said, taking back parental authority in the age of permissive parenting or something like that. And the idea that God, what we think is going to bring our kids joy and happiness by letting them run the show actually destroys their lives. They need authority. Loving authority. They need authority. They need structure. They need that. And that book really helped me when I read it over a decade ago as well. It takes a parent. So shepherding a child's heart, parenting by the book, and it takes a parent. I told you this series was, was going to be a lot different not a Bible study, more of a seminar style, teaching practical principles. But I hope something that was said was a reminder, was a help, caused us, we should cherish children. Our society often views them as something to get rid of, something to kill before they're even born. That should not be the spirit of a, of, of a Christian. They're, they're, a, they're a reward, they're a heritage, they're a gift. We should cherish them. Early on, set up some structure, but don't go crazy like I did relax. They're going to be okay. And then with toddlers, obedience, consistency in, in the enforcement of that, the obedience goes along, obedience and honor, internal and external, relationship and actions, and, uh, and then uh, consistency, and then training. 
Don't miss those vital years of training in their lives. Daily, you have no idea the seeds you're planting in those young hearts and how they'll grow in the years and decades to come. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.